I am looking forward to sharing this word with you. How many of you are excited about getting into the word today? Praise God. Amen. Hey, so a number of years ago, I, I, I had to change the, before the eight o'clock service, uh, I had to change around some things um, for the message. Uh, just sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will kind of redirect me into some things. And so I'm, I'm going to share some things at the front end of the message that I often wouldn't do, but I, I really feel like it's, it's one of these times where I need to share some things that are just, just in personal practice of things, how, how things uh, in my life have been uh, impacted over the years by uh, the, the wisdom of the Lord, you know, people coming alongside of me and sharing with me. Um, there's something I want to share with you, this idea uh, that probably about 30, I want to say 35 years ago, uh, a gentleman shared with me, and uh, I hope that you'll take some notes today. I hope that you'll grab a hold of a, a few of these things. Um, a gentleman by the name of Ward Williams shared, shared with uh, uh, the student body where I was a part of, he said, your life has changed by the books that you read and the people that you meet. The books that you read and the people that you meet. And so a few years ago, uh, I guess it was 07, I went back to school and uh, you all sent me back to school. And, uh, and so during that time, uh, I probably had kind of coasted. I think uh, I was sharing with the prayer team yesterday. I said, I think that I've had seasons of my life where it seemed like five or 10 years just went by. And I'm not sure what I really did, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I'm a little bit, you know, kind of in this, you know, what was going, well, life was going on. I was making a living, you know, I was, I was growing a family. I was doing different things, but as far as was I as intentional in my walk as I could have been, was I intentional in, in personal growth as I could have been there? I think there were seasons of my life where I, I probably was a little too much on cruise control. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I was just kind of letting life happen rather than being intentional about living it. Let's just be honest. Can I be honest? There, you know, that's, that, was my, that was my life. That was my season. Now, now uh, here's what I've come to know, and, there, and here's where I've arrived now. Um, I, I believe that my wife, Holly, deserves the best version of me that I can give her. That the guy that she married in 1989 ought not to fully resemble the guy that she's living with right now because I need to grow. I need to, I, I need to change. I can't be, I can't be the same. And, and I, I want to say the same for my family. And I want to say the same for you, that you deserve the best version of Ken Kramer that you possibly can have. That if I'm the same pastor that I was when I was 30 as I am when I'm 53, something's wrong. Because I haven't applied myself. You know, the, the scripture says that if we're faithful to the Lord and faithful to the word, that it's possible that your life can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold what was invested in you. That's a pretty phenomenal growth span, wouldn't you say? And it, it really comes down to how you go about applying yourself to the things that uh, you, the tools that you have available. 
So from since 2007, I would say I've probably read between 30 and 50, sometimes 70 books a year between 30, you know, between 2007 and now. Just depends on the year. And, uh, and, and so that, that works its way out to something usually about a book a week, but sometimes less. Sometimes I'm a slacker and it takes me three weeks to get through. Um, a lot of that, it sounds, it sounds like a lot, but can I tell you, if you have an Audible account, you can burn through some books. I mean, you know, Audible, Audible books. Books are, are okay. You can do audible books, you know, and uh, and so and then digital, you know, the digital. But some people are stuck. Well, I got to have a paper copy. Let me tell you, honey. If I had to have a paper copy for it, I wouldn't have a bedroom now, because there would be stacks of books everywhere. I mean, it's you know, so digital just is so helpful with with everything, and uh, and so one of the books that I picked up a while back was a, a book by a guy uh, named Ray. I, I said it Dalio all the first service. It could be Dalio. I'm not sure, but uh, um, I, I'll just call him. You say tomato, I say tomato. Uh, he may be Dalio. I'm going to call him Dalio. Okay, so Ray, Ray Dalio, um, is, uh, he wrote a book called Principles. And Ray Dalio, is, uh, uh, he is the founder of a hedge fund called Bridgewater and Associates. Now, I didn't know when I started reading the book even what a hedge fund was. And so one of the things that I've done over the years is that, you know, of the books that I'm reading, uh, because numbers are not my strong suit, um, I'm a word, um, a words person. Some people are English folks and some people are math folks and I'm a, I'm an English person, you know, and so I spend a lot of time with words, not real good with numbers. So I read books uh, with people who are good with numbers so I can glean from that. And uh, so Ray Dalio started a, a hedge fund and what a hedge fund is basically is a, uh, is a fund that's developed not just to be really good at investing and making money, but also to hedge that money so that you don't lose as much. So they spend as much time working on coming up with investment strategies as they do in when, market, when the market is bad, still make money. Don't lose money. Now, one of the things that's uh, unique, there are tons of hedge funds out there. Ray Dalio uh, is one of the few people uh, that saw the 2008 eco uh, economic crisis uh, before it hit. Like he, it showed up on his radar and he started talking about it. Now I will say there were prophetic people in the church world that were seeing things. Larry Burkett, uh, for instance, saw uh, the, the 2008 housing crisis before it ever happened. He wrote a book about it back then uh, called The Coming Economic Collapse, just what everybody wants to read. Um, but he, he wrote it. He's with the Lord now, uh, you know, ce celebrating his reward. But he, you know, he saw some of these same things coming. But Ray Dalio, um, and, and so what Ray Dalio, had, had developed even before uh, the onset of supercomputers was the ability to take um, all of the data that was, uh, that was uh, in the world in regards to any market. I'm going somewhere, I promise you, I'm going somewhere with this. You're saying, some of you are tuning me out. I can feel it right now. Um, but uh, he took all, of, can you imagine if you had access to all of the numbers of any market that's been in existence since back into the 16, 17, 1800s, that that information exists. And what Ray Dalio would do would say, well, you can't really predict what the market's going to do tomorrow, but could you take an amount of money and trace it backwards and see how it would do 100 years ago? Like trace it back through everything. Because the best indicator of what will, will happen is what has happened. 
right? So, so they developed this algorithm and they put it into the supercomputer and then they ran it backwards a hundred years to see whether or not how much money they would make or lose. And then they run it forwards a hundred years to see how it would do. Interesting, isn't it? Fascinating to me. And so, uh, so his particular hedge fund, like I said, they saw the recession coming. And uh, while they were normally at around 33, 35%, you know, this hedge fund would do, they only, they only made 11 to 13% during the economic bust, only, where a lot of people were losing 30 and 40% of, of whatever they had. Many of you, you know, your retirement was in that. You know what that felt like. And so I thought to myself, I could learn from a guy like this. This guy's pretty cool. This guy looks at the world in a way that I don't look at the world. This guy understands some things that I don't understand. Maybe I could glean some things. from. So his book, Principles, helped me out. And it's a very practical book, by the way. It's not just about numbers. But, uh, but then I went, I went a little further. I started thinking, well, this is what this guy does in relationship to money. But wouldn't it be cool to have a guy like that on the team that understood people? Wouldn't it be interesting to have a guy like this on the team that, that understood um, how to work with your hands, what, that understood the medical field? You know, wouldn't it be great to, if you could build like this, uh, if you could build like this dream team of people that were Ray Dalio caliber, who understood things that had gone before and how that things were going to work out. But you'd always come back to the problem that you have. Nobody can predict tomorrow. Nobody really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Every investor that you talk to will say something like this. I don't have a crystal ball. And nobody else does. But what if you had something better? What if you had a senior partner called the Holy Spirit? Who knew the book of Revelation day from the Genesis 1 before there was a day? What if you had on your team... In your body, the senior partner called the Holy Spirit. Now, wouldn't that be something? You say, well, nobody knows. Well, yeah, somebody does. And his name's the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you today about the person of the Holy Spirit because I believe the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the Father Anybody here have a father? That's a joke. Of course you have a father. You wouldn't be in existence without a father. You may not have a dad, right? But you have a, you, you have a biological father somewhere along the line. And, and so, uh, so the reality is we, we have earthly fathers, and then we either are a son or we have sons or we know sons. And, and so we, we're, we're comfortable with those kind of things. Now, uh, biblically speaking, just talking doctrine of the Trinity with you for a minute, the father has never left heaven. The father's always been in heaven. The son left heaven, came to earth to establish what the will of the father was in and to bring the kingdom of God. And, and then Jesus ascended back to heaven. There's only one member of the Godhead that you and I actually interact with all the time. His name's the Holy Spirit. He has been on the earth for the last 2,000 years. You're, in fact, the Bible tells us that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Any, anybody that you ought to know anything about, if they're that close to you, you ought to know something about them. 
Your, your body. Put your hands out here like this. Go ahead. Wiggle them. Wiggle those fingers. These are Holy Spirit's hands. This is Holy Spirit's head. This is Holy Spirit's heart. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not the temple of the Father. Not the temple of the Son. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And you and I need to know him. We need to know what he's like. And this is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. When uh, he, he talks to us about the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, anybody love Jesus in here today? Amen. If you're online, you love Jesus? I mean, that, Jesus is giving, giving us a qualifier. This only matters if you love Jesus. If you don't care about Jesus, then you're not going to care about the Holy Spirit. But if you love Jesus, he says, uh, he says if you love me, keep my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, sing songs on Sunday morning. If you love me, wear a Christian t-shirt. If you love me, vote a certain way. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. Right? He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or advocate to help you uh, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now I skip on down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Okay, so the first thing that Jesus tells us about the person of the Holy Spirit is that he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or another counsel, uh, counselor. Um, I don't know about you, but I can have love for God in my heart, but it seems like my body wants to do what it wants to do. I can have, I can make a good confession on Sunday morning, God, I'm going to follow you. And then on Monday morning, my body decides it wants to go and do what it jolly well pleases, right? It wants to go and direct, it wants to direct itself. It wants to do, and so why do we need the person of the Holy Spirit? Because we can't live for God and obey his commands without the Holy Spirit's help. If you could do it on your own, it wouldn't be called Christianity. You need the Lord. You need his, to be dependent on him. You need to walk with him. And, and so the, Jesus is telling us about the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, this is another counselor, another one just like me, another one just like, in other words, he's the, he's the same kind. Jesus is saying, he is just like me. I've, I've heard Christians say, you know, especially when it comes to the idea of Pentecost, and they'll say, well, I, I, Jesus I'm all about, but the Holy Spirit, I just, I don't know. Do you, do, you see, do you see what Jesus says? He says the Holy Spirit is, is another one just like me. 
So if you love Jesus, you got to love the Holy Spirit. Now, can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit, uh, a lot of times what people do and, and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Now, the Holy Spirit will not make you weird unless you already had a propensity to weirdness. All right? So, so some of y'all just weird. Don't blame him. You were weird before the Holy Spirit ever came along. And, and so, you know, what, but Jesus said he's just another counselor, another comforter, another advocate. And this is legal language. You know, if, if you and I, um, you know, I, I, I know virtually nothing about uh, law. I've never been sued, thank God. You know, I've never had, I've never brought suit again. But, but you know, what do you have to do if you're going to go to court? You got to get a what? A lawyer. You got to get somebody that knows the law. You got to get somebody. Why? Because you go in there, you're going to get whooped up on. Somebody, you know, they're, they're, you know, somebody that knows the law, somebody that knows the facts, somebody that has to work all of this together. And Jesus is saying, you are not prepared to live in a spiritual world because there are things about it you can't fathom. There are things about the interworkings of God with the spirit realm and the earth realm that you're just not going to understand. So, I have given you an advocate. You're not going to be an orphan. You're not going to be walking around without representation. I am going to give you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who works on your behalf. And here's the good news. He knows the entire plan of the Father. First of all. Second of all, he knows how this world works. Thirdly, he knows you inside and out. He knows how you're wired. He is is made up for your stupidity. He has got your back. He's got you figured out. You can't tell him anything that he doesn't already know. This is the advocate. And you know what he's there to do? To work on your behalf for your good and the Father's glory. That's the Holy Spirit. Man, don't you want him? Don't, don't you need him? Don't you love him? Don't you appreciate the fact that Jesus didn't leave the earth and said, bye-bye, y'all. <laughs> the reality is that we need the Holy Spirit in this season more than we have ever needed him before. And so uh, let's, let's dive in and talk about the person of the Holy Spirit here for a minute. Uh, some of this is a rehearsal for many of you. But I, I think it's a good reminder. First of all, and this is going to sound ridiculous, um, the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. And by that, here's what I mean. Uh, I'm, this is not double talk. The Holy, there is no one else like him. He is holy. There is no one else like the Holy Spirit. And the reason that that's important for you and I is that we, we sang about it earlier. We, we don't want to be making God in our own image. That's right. He is God. 
He is the one that was brooding over the waters in the book of Genesis. He is the one that split the Red Sea and the, and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. He is the one that guides, you know, guided David's rock when it hit Goliath. He is the one that causes every miracle, every person that's ever been born again, it was the Holy Spirit. Well, say, no, it was Jesus. You wouldn't have been convicted of your sin if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't have been convinced that the word of God was true unless it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that that wrote the scriptures. You say, well, I really like the way Moses wrote, and I really like the way Joshua wrote, and I like Paul's stuff, and I like Peter's stuff, and I like what John had to say. Guess what? There's only one author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He is the one that wrote. You know, I've read a lot of those books uh, that I mentioned a minute ago. Can I tell you how many authors of those books that I know? Probably two or three. Maybe two or three. But every day when I open the word, I can talk to the author. I can say, what did you mean when you said this in chapter such and such and verse such and such? What do you mean by that? And I can listen, and he'll talk to me. Why? Because the book is alive, because the Holy Spirit is alive. And I can take that. He's holy. There's nobody else like him. There's nobody else like him. Uh, But secondly, he is the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can trace his activity by whether or not it lines up with the Scripture. So because I know the book and I know the writer of the book, when people say to me, Pastor Ken, and this has happened, I feel like the Lord is leading me to leave my spouse to go marry somebody else. I can say, wrong! That's not God. Let me just tell you, that's the wrong spirit. There are a lot of spirits out there. That's not God's spirit. How can you say that? That sounds so judgmental. (laughs) Because if you're going to walk in the will of God, he's never going to have you make a a step that's out of his plan in order to do his plan. You don't have to do something dishonest to end up in the will of God. He won't, he won't lead you to violate some aspect of Scripture so that you can end up in his will. Will he violate man's tradition? Yeah. But he'll never violate the word. You know, he might violate your, your, uh, your whims and your wishes. But he'll never violate the word. And so he is holy from the standpoint of he is fully pure, he is fully righteous, and he's only going to lead you to walk. And let me tell you, now, understand where I'm coming from with this. I'm not advocating don't be a person of the word. But if you have a, a, a solid relationship with the Holy Spirit, you, you, I mean, you, you're listening and you're staying in communion with the Holy Spirit. You are less likely to sin than just a, just a, a person who knows chapter and verse but doesn't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because you've got onboard direction. Now, here's the beauty. It's not one or the other. It is both. You stay full of the Word and you stay full of the Holy Spirit. 
and he is going to guide you into truth, and he's going to keep you from sinning. He's going to keep you from sinning. Some of y'all don't believe me. I wish you were here with me right now. Secondly, uh, the Holy Spirit is not only holy, but he, he remains forever. Jesus was on the earth 33 and a half years, we believe, uh, you, know, uh, you know, somewhere thereabouts. And uh, he came, we know he came from heaven. We know he came to earth. We know he ascended and he seats at the right, sits at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit abides as long as we're on this earth, the Holy Spirit is abiding with us. Until we see Jesus face to face, the Holy Spirit is in the earth. There is no record of anywhere in the scripture that the Holy Spirit left. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, Jesus says he's going to abide forever. He's going to abide forever. Now that means you always have access to him. The challenge remains though, or exists, that oftentimes we don't want him. Oftentimes we don't want to allow him to have the way in our lives that he desires to have. The Holy Spirit will fill your life as you are as exactly as filled with the Holy Spirit as you want to be. You may not be filled with the Holy Spirit as much as you wish to be, but you're exactly as full of the Holy Spirit as you want to be. You can have whatever you want in God. You, you know, and his availability for you is more than you can take, more than you could stand. And, and yet he makes himself available and he said, come on with me. Come on, let me show you what life ought to be about. Come on with me. Let me show you what it means that, that, that Jesus be exalted in the earth. Let me show you how to do that. He remains forever. Secondly, or thirdly on this, he guides us into all truth. You know, when Jesus said this, he, the, the epistles had not been written. The gospels had not been written. The truth that you and I have the opportunity to get a hold of today. I'm not talking about extra biblical revelation, but I'm talking about the Bible, that the Holy Spirit was guiding the church into uh, the reality of the truth of God's Word. Now, uh, let me talk to you for a minute about how you develop your intimacy with God. Are you ready? Do you want to know how to draw closer to Him? In some ways, it's not that different. Then your relationship, those of us that are married, then, then your relationship with your spouse. You know, I have learned in 31 years, there are some things I ought not to say to my wife. There are some subjects that if I bring it up, it's just not going to be a fun conversation. There are certain times of the day when I can talk. And we can talk freely. And then there are certain times of the day, I just better not. I know, I know when she likes to go to bed. I know when she likes to get up. I know what her favorite foods are. I know her, her uh, favorite, what she would say is a cool vacation and what is not a cool vacation. Right? I, why? Because we walk together. I know those things, you know? And, and sometimes somebody will say, hey, Pastor Ken, why don't you and Holly, let's go do this. I say, nah. I mean, I'd be cool with it, but Holly's not going to go for that, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, how do I know that? Because, uh, how, well, let me just ask you, how do you make good decisions? Anybody know this? By making bad decisions. That's right. Oh, you're quick, you know. And so how do I know these? Because I've had enough experience with my wife to know that I've tried it one way and suddenly the peace left the room. You know, and, and so 
so the same, the same principle applies to the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul said in, uh, uh, in 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. The Holy Spirit works according to your conscience. He works alongside of you and how you're wired up. And, and so, uh, th and this is why, the reason that this is so important, it, it, and I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little controversial, but I'll explain it. Um, something might be sin for me that's not sin for you. Yeah. How do I know that? Because of my conscience. So you can't just look at what one person is doing. You know, because there are certain boundaries within chapter and verse that, you know, that obviously the things that the Bible calls sin are sin for everybody. But there are things called weights. I'm not talking the extra amount that I'm carrying around my midsection. I'm, I'm, talking, uh, I'm talking about things that will drag my walk down. And those things for me, if, if something drags my walk down, then those things for me, I, I qualify it as sin. Now, that, that doesn't mean uh, that, God is, that, that God's going to hold me. Uh, what I realize is that I'm not moving in my walk with God the way I could because of my conscience. And so if I violate my conscience, what ends up happening is I'm not steerable anymore. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit says, you know, you need to, you need to go make that uh, conversation right. You know, you're, you didn't like the tone of the conversation. The Holy Spirit was talking to me and dealing with my conscience. I have to go back and make it right. If I don't go back and make it right, let me tell you, the next time, the next time something comes up, it's easier for me to just push my conscience down, not pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon, you know, I'm, I'm making strides away from his direction. I'm moving away from intimacy. People say, why, why doesn't God raise me up to do big things for him? Because you wouldn't do the little things. The culmin when, when you see God using somebody in a big way publicly, it's usually because privately they were, they were taught to do the little things, and that comes down to dealing with your conscience. The way I treat people, the way, the way I, I, uh, what I give myself to in secret allows me to be rewarded openly. But if I'm doing things in secret I ought not to be doing... Can I tell you, I don't expect that I'm going to get rewarded openly, right? And, and so oftentimes you say, well, how did that person, look at, look at that, they're not all that great. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in secret. The Father can reward people openly, and he, didn't, he doesn't have to ask your permission. But what they were doing in secret was that they were guarding their heart. They were making sure their, their relationships were right. They were making sure that their prayer life was in order. They had the intimacy with God. And God said, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. Come on, it's time to be elevated. So holding on to faith in a good conscience. So the issue of intimacy has to do with, with how I guard my conscience. Um, what does it look like? First of all, you got to find out what pleases him. What seems good to him? Um, you know, um, in Luke chapter 15, there's this really obscure kind of a, a little passage. Luke says it this way. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. It seemed good. It seemed good. Do you realize that the early church established whole segments of doctrine, what they were going to hang on to from Judaism and what they were going to let go of from a, with a seems good? <laughs> That's awesome. 
with a seemed good. They, they didn't go out and get the Bible scholars and sit down and say, okay, we're going to study all the books of the law and we're going we're gonna to figure this out. Let's just sit down and brainstorm it. No, they got some testimonies. They got the apostles together. They, you know, this is a new word. We're not sure what about. And, and so it, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost um, was established in Luke 15. And those are still the operational truths that the church hangs on to today. And where did they get it? They got together and they prayed. They counseled among one another. And it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it, that sounds so loosey-goosey for some of us. But the Holy Spirit is God. And if you just got your senior partner to tell you what you needed to do and then you did it, you would be all right. Why? Because he knows tomorrow, and he knows next week, and he knows how to bless your kids, and your children's children, and their children after them, and their children. And so the things that are happening in your life, if you had a senior partner like that, and you paid attention to them, and you did what it was that God wanted done, your family will be blessed. Right? Here's something that the Holy Spirit likes uh, in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when uh, God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. In the Old Testament, there was an anointing oil recipe that was given to Moses that uh, he had, I think it was Bezalel and Oholiab and, and uh, everybody that was in charge of building the tabernacle that they gathered all the ingredients for and and he said this is a this is a unique oil a, with a unique fragrance and it's only to be used during worship it's only to be used for the anointing of the instruments so that whenever you came around the tabernacle you would have the smell of burnt meat or smoked meat this is why guys this is why we love to grill <laughs> there's just something about it wow spiritual. It's a spiritual experience. But you would have the smell of the smoked meat and then you would have the fragrance of the anointing oil. And, and Moses was, his instruction from the Lord was, Moses, this is, this is my paraphrase, Moses, this is not Chanel number no. five to be sold in every department store everywhere. This is a unique fragrance that's associated with my worship. I want people to understand that when they smell this anointing oil, that there is life. And so what, what uh, the psalmist is saying here is that, that that same high priestly anointing that flows from the head down onto, the, the, down onto Aaron's beard and his robes, that same high priestly anointing is where the blessing of the Lord is and the Holy Spirit, is, is he loves it when the body of Christ comes together. Now, I'm not saying we're all yes men. I'm not saying that we all have to just go along to get along. In fact, far from it. The, the beautiful thing about the anointing is that, is that it cuts down on the friction. There's going to be some intense conversations 
But with the anointing, it smooths that out. And the Holy Spirit is in the midst of that. And he said it's good when brothers dwell together in in unity. And there's a fragrance that's associated with that anointing in Psalm 133. And you know, there needs to be the fragrance of the Lord on our meetings when we come together. I I just, this past week, uh, sat with the, on Thursday, the prayer time, the the business leaders prayer group uh, that meets outside my office. And you know what? That fragrance was there. The, the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit in that prayer group. I know our ladies' Bible studies experience that. Our small groups experience that. The presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. People come hungry, and they get filled, and they get ministered to, and there's an anticipation for the next time. Man, I can't wait till we can do this again. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit loves. It's what he loves. Here are some things that cause the dove to fly away. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Lying. If he's the spirit of truth, he can't be involved with lying. You know, in Ephesians, Paul says, putting off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. If you speak truthfully to your neighbor, you better speak truthfully to your spouse. Just saying. Put off all falsehood. Holy Spirit doesn't want to be involved with lying. He doesn't want to be involved in gossip. I have a real high gossip sensitivity. You know what I'm talking about? When you get around people and they're talking about one another, you know, it's just, it's just not healthy. Beyond the fact that it's, you know, it's, it, the, the, the personal reality is if you know they're talking about somebody else, as soon as you walk out the room, you're fair game too. They're going to be talking about you. Right? So don't just think you can just get in there and chat about whatever they're chatting about. Yeah, let me just chew it up with you. Because guess what? As soon as you leave, you're next on the menu. Don't be around gossip. Shut it down. Uh, The fastest shutdown. Fastest shutdown. Hey, let's go ask them about it. You know what? They're in my contact list. Let me call them right now. You ready? All you got to do is do that a couple times. They won't bring it up around you anymore. Here's my definition of gossip. If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, it's gossip. It's real simple. You know, if, if, that's, if that's not my game, if that's not my cry, if, I, if, I, if, I can't, if I'm not part of the problem, okay, let's get this right, or part of the solution, let me fix it for you, then I, I have no business. I had people during, you know, when COVID first started happening and they were talking about uh, Rodney Howard Brown and, you know, what was going on down in Florida and, and him leaving the church open and all that kind of stuff. And they're saying, you know, give me your opinion on this. I got no opinion. That man is another man's servant. He's not my servant. If, you know, uh, and so he's, he's got his word from the Lord. He's going to do what the Lord wants him to do. And I have no opinion about that. I'm not part of that problem. I'm not part of that solution. Why weigh in on it, right? And so we need to be very careful. Why? Because Facebook is full of gossip. They ought to have a G rating on it. G for gossip. Right? Worry. You know, the Holy Spirit, the dove, flies away when worry starts happening. Let me just talk to you about that for a minute. Why does worry grieve the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is constantly offering hope. Holy Spirit is constantly offering truth. Holy Spirit is constantly offering faith. 
And when worry starts to get expressed from the lips of people who have God as their heavenly father who knows what they have need of. Holy Spirit is not interested in being a part of that conversation. You just relegated him to a wallflower. He's just going to stand on the sidelines when we start expressing worry. Why? Because he is the spirit of truth. He wants to guide you into truth. Immorality. There's an obvious one. Holy Spirit doesn't want to be involved with immorality. Slander, complaining, division. The Holy Spirit, these things grieve him. They grieve him. Not just the conversation about them, but the activity of them. Right? Um, I've made a reference to something, a metaphor that I want to bring back to you. Do you remember the story where uh, John the Baptist is, has gotten his word from the Father uh, about the one that, uh, that is to come? That is namely Jesus. And so the father tells him about Jesus uh, and says, the one on whom the dove comes down and remains, that is the one. Right? So John the Baptist, right? He's down in in the Jordan and he's baptized. He's preached for a while. Gravel-throated preacher makes everybody cry. And then they they come down to repent. And, And so what does John do? Because John really just does baptism in order for Jesus to be revealed. You know, baptism is just something that he goes through. It's the busyness of the work. Okay, you people line up. And so they're coming down and he dunks one. No dove. Next. Another one, no dove. Next, another one, no dove. Next, when he gets to Jesus, a Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and the dove rests on Jesus. And, but in the, the passage where John talks about when the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and remains. Yeah. And remains. You know, I've had encounters with the Lord, and you have too. They were so powerful. They were like almost like incredible. I'm not just talking about little little uh, you know goose flesh on the back of your neck, you know, or something like that. Ooh, chills or whatever. Because I get those chills when I see Holly. Ooh. <laughs> but but I'm talking about God encounters, and then the next thing that happens, something I get in the flesh, and it's almost like I feel the dove leave. Now I know that spiritually speaking, that. That I'm, you know, I'm going to heaven. Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. But I can lose the intimacy with the Lord the minute I move over into the flesh. Why? Because he just doesn't want to be a part of that. You're on your own there, sport. Come on back when you're ready. And when I make, a, when I make some kind of a, a you know, a, a, I dig my heels in because I won't go repent. I dig my heels in because I won't go you know, make restitution if I violated somebody. I dig my heels in and I violated my conscience. Let me tell you, I, what I lose, what I lose is the peace. What I lose is the abiding sense of the presence of God. Right? I'm still a nice guy. I'm still going to heaven. But I lose the activity of the Holy Spirit, the communion that I had with him. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand where we're going? You know, here's the reality. Jesus came to get you to heaven. But the Holy Spirit came for you to bring heaven to earth. And if your experience on earth, this side of heaven, is not resembling heaven a little bit more every day, the reason is not because there's something wrong with you. The reason is because you haven't invited the Holy Spirit to be your senior partner. 
Because you haven't given him charge over your life to where you said, oh, oh, now, I, now I've got the guidance and direction I need. The difference is between uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, when you got born again, the Holy Spirit became resident in your life. When you welcomed the Holy Spirit as your senior partner, he became president. Resident and president. Who are you letting have charge of your life? Who are you giving full control of your life to? If you give your life over to the person of the Holy Spirit and you make a point not to grieve him on a daily basis. Can I tell you, a lot of times, you know, we have our encounters with God and then we just kind of go on our merry way. Holy Spirit wants to abide with you. He wants, to, he wants to give you guidance. He wants to give you instruction. He wants to talk to you about the little things because the little things really are the big things. The little thing. Let me tell you, you will, you will never get, you will never do the greater things. You'll never get to the 30, 60, and 100 fold return in your life if you don't let him talk to you about the way you think about or treat your neighbor. If you won't let him talk to you, this happened to me this past week, and I'm convicted just telling you about it. So I was looking, I was at, I was at a store, and I was looking for a particular kind of fire starter because I was going to use my grill this past week, and it's a charcoal grill. And so I have this certain, and they, in, in the same place that they normally have it, you know, they do change outs for seasons and everything, and, and the fire starters weren't in the same place. And so I picked up these ones that I didn't really want, you know, I'm like, I'm going to use it, but I don't really want it. And so I'm carrying it around, and then I find the place where they, you know, where they, uh, they moved the, the stuff too. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And so I picked up the one that they had. They only had one left. And I took that and I, and I put the packages right back in that spot. And the Holy Spirit convicted me so bad, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Doesn't let me buy with anything. And I wanted to have an argument. Lord, well, I'm employing a, a, a customer service person here. They, you know, I'd have to give them something to do. They got to restock this. And, mm. And I think he called me lazy, and then, I, and then I agreed, and I said, let me take it back. You know, and why? Because it's the little things yeah. that prepare you for the big things. If you'll fudge a little here, you'll be a mile off over here. That's right. And this isn't legalism. This is the dove remaining. So, so why do I pay attention to the small things? Because... It's my character. It's my conscience. It's how the Holy Spirit wants to talk to me. How he wants to make things real in my life. And how he wants to make it real in your life. Let's stand.